From the studios of Advancing Vibrant Communities in Modesto, California, this is Lighthouse Live Radio on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. Welcome to Lighthouse Live, the radio voice of advancing vibrant communities. Our mission is to motivate believers to move out from the four walls of the church to personally serve the needs of their neighborhoods. Get ready for a no-holds-barred, honest look at the Christian lifestyle the way Christ commanded it to be. All that and more coming right up here on Lighthouse Live. And good evening to you, wherever you may be. Pastor Mike Douglas here, along with our producer and co-host, Elaine Harlan. And uh, welcome to Lighthouse Life, wherever in the world uh, you may be. And uh, again, places we can't even pronounce. Mm-hmm. Elaine uh, here uh, joining us live, and a welcome to all of you also joining us on the archive broadcast as well. Uh, we know uh, somewhere between 100 and 150 of you per day cool. uh, listen to this broadcast, and we're so thankful that you're able to join us. Also, of course, with us is our prayer intercessor, the inimitable Mr. Owl, Al Ramsey, and uh, Big Big John, the Big Energizer John. Bunny, uh, with us here as well. He just keeps going and going and going. And a special guest tonight. And by the yes. way, uh, friends, we, we think this is, uh, no matter where you are, I think you'll find tonight's broadcast mm-hmm. very valuable. We're going to be talking about uh, things related to gangs and uh, mitigation efforts and what you need to know, uh, education efforts that uh, that are so important in terms of letting parents know what, what to look for. And uh, with us tonight will be our special guest, Lieutenant Ron Cloward, and uh, had the opportunity to, to know a good lieutenant for many, many years. And it's great to have you with us. Thanks, And um, also uh, a new friend to ABC, Officer Robert Gum, with us as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, Officer Gum involved uh, with uh, with gangs and, well, you're not in gang, but, you know, the gangs are street con- crimes. And <laughs> you're that sort already of thing, so. in trouble, and we you just know. barely got started. Yeah, I know. It uh, didn't take me long, <laughs> didn't, uh, did it? It never does. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, before I get myself into more trouble, let's check in with our friends from Voice of the Martyrs. What will people think when they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? What will people do when they find that it's true? Hey, what's up? This is Michael Tate with news about some more real-life Jesus freaks. It's 180 AD, Carthage. The proconsul is giving a group of Christians one last chance to come to their senses and swear supreme allegiance to their emperor. Sporadus responds, I do not recognize any empire of this present age. Sentinus adds, There is no one whom we fear except the Lord our God who is in heaven. A third accused man, Donata, maybe says it best, Honor Caesar as Caesar, but fear God. Proconsul sentences them to die, never understanding that these men are not enemies of the government, but their citizenship is in heaven, and their first loyalty is to God. Will you stand with the Voice of the Martyrs? Go online to persecution.com. And back with you live here on Lighthouse Live. Again, uh, Pastor Mike Douglas with you, along with Elaine Harlan. And uh, by the way, friends, uh, coming up on May 16, if you're in the Stanislaus County area, there's going to be a church-wide effort as part of Connections 2009 to bless the airport neighborhoods in the uh, Modesto area. And uh, you're invited to join us. We're going to be uh, gathering about 9 o'clock in the morning at Legion Park. In Modesto, we'll have a time of prayer and uh, assignments, and we'll be uh, 
cleaning up alleyways and general public areas. We'll be doing some graffiti wipeout. And also a major um, a favor that's been asked of us by the city is to paint the uh, street numbers on the curbs. Those little stenciling Yeah, because and- uh, it's, it's really tough at night, you know, when you're rolling to a call, whether fire department, rescue, medics, police, whatever, uh, and, and the number's not on the curb, sometimes that can be a little difficult to figure out what address you're supposed to be at. So a, a great service there. So if you're uh, inclined to join us, we'd uh, love to have you. Again, that's coming up on Saturday, May 16. Start at 9 in the morning. You go home whenever you need to, but uh, bring your work gloves and shovels and rakes. And lunch. We'll have a, and bring your own lunch, yes. and we'll have, a, we'll have a good time. Huh? You bet. Let's check out some uh, opportunities from the Volunteer Center of the United Way for you to serve. The American Cancer Society's Relay for Life to celebrate survivorship and to remember those who lost their lives to cancer. Uh, The 24-hour relay event will be celebrated May 2nd and 3rd in Patterson, Turlock, Tuolumne, and uh, in Tracy, May 16th and 17th in Ceres, Ripon, and Manteca, uh, May 30th and 31st in Modesto and Riverbank. And I know your kids are going to be involved in the one in Modesto. Is that correct? Well, actually, they were involved this weekend oh, in, cool. at Oakdale High School. Right what, on. what a cool thing. Oh, that is very cool. You know, very they're cool out there all night, and yes. it's in a protected area, and, and the, the site of the luminarias, yes. you know, with, with the lights in them for either cancer mm-hmm. survivors or those who have recently passed away is, is pretty awesome. But the kids have a lot of fun. They're there from... Um, you know, like, I don't know, 5 o'clock at night till 9 in the morning. The only problem was the silly string. Uh-oh. Yeah, well, the silly string wasn't getting cleaned up. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and so the powers that be put the kibosh on the silly string. Uh-huh. So if you have silly string wars at these future ones, make sure you pick it up in order to be able to carry on with that project. Were you trying to go somewhere we with will. this? We will. We'll okay. eventually right. get there because in, uh, let's see, in Stockton it's going to be June 6th and 7th. So volunteers uh, are needed on the first day of each of these relays uh, to regis- register the walkers and teams and to help out with the uh, luminaries and, and the evening ceremonies because this is quite a sight to see if you've never seen this. Uh, I know we were involved in, in this for many, many years and still do. My mom's name is placed in one of those uh, in the evenings, and it's just uh, a wonderful thing uh, to see and, and to be a part of. So you don't want to miss uh, out on the Relay for Life in one of these cities that takes place all over uh, our country. Friends of the Modesto Library. Now, this is a half-price community book sale. And it's going to be held at the Modesto Library Auditorium on Thursday, May 28th through the 30th and invites the public to shop this fun event. Now, the sale promotes family literacy through the sale of new high-quality, low-cost books for children and teens. So in this case, getting booked is a good thing. Getting booked is a good thing, and our two officers would attest to that. It's the diet (laughs) code. It's it's low-cost books for children and teens from Scholastic and many other publishers at 50% off suggested retail price. Now, the Friends sale generates books and funds to support the mission and programs of the Modesto libraries. Now, parents, grandparents, teachers, and the community uh, are invited to give wings to their children with the gift of reading at half price. But wait, there's more. (laughs) Volunteers ages 18 years and older are needed to help out and set up on Wednesday, May 27th at 10 a.m. to help the shoppers throughout the event. Now, probably unless you've got this old, outdated um, library card with past dues, 
on him like somebody that we might know. We won't mention any. I'm all paid Pastor up. Mike. I'm paid up. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> that would be a fun thing to get involved in. And then we have the Stanislaw Arts Council, where Senior Spotlight brightens the State Theater with entertainment on uh, Sunday, May 3rd at 1 p.m. This is billed as uh, a variety show designed to please viewers of all ages. The Senior Spotlight features talented seniors ages 55 years and older. <laughs> oh, that obviously lets us, <laughs> us out, doesn't no, it, Alan? But it doesn't let, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> the Senior Spotlight features talented seniors ages 55 years and older performing in a professional review, singers, dancers, comedy acts, monologues, complete with costumes, a stage band, and professional-grade lighting and sound equipment. General admission tickets are available for just $10 each. Volunteers of all ages are needed to assist with setup, serve refreshment, ushers, and clean-up. It's not going to be disco, between, is there? <laughs> you well. never know. A, yeah. You know, Saturday Night Fever kicks in. The Arts Council is also seeking sponsors and donors to support this unique and entertaining events. So if you want <laughs> any more information on all of these fun activities, give bubbly Barbara Borba a call. <laughs> She's, she would love to talk to you. She's <laughs> Reach her at 209-524-1307, extension 113. Again, that's 209-524-1307, extension 113, or email her. Maybe John the Energizer Bunny over here, you know, he'll do his tap dance <laughs> thing. That, that could be... That would be pretty good, huh? Yeah, tap dance. You could do. That's one of your specialties. I knew it was. Go for it, John. That's right. Do it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Were you trying to finish that? Email Barbara. Okay. She's at bborba at uastand.org, and she would love to hear from you. You know, we have some uh, some needs here at ABC. <laughs> Boy, do we. <laughs> but anyway, seriously. And um, more needy by the moment, we, I think. We need to carry on here. We have a family uh, in need of a gas stove and a dryer and a sofa. Seriously, we, we really do. And also, a single mom uh, is in need of a baby crib. She just had a little girl. And uh, what a struggle for single parents. Yeah. And uh, so if you have any of these items to donate, uh, we also have need of some mechanics to set up, uh, the, to step up, I should say, to the proverbial proverbial plate and exercise. Uh, that's a big word, that's proverbial. That's a big huh? word yeah. for somebody. I need to go back to that literacy thing that we were just talking <laughs> about. But uh, to exercise their special gifts uh, as they share the love of Christ uh, with those in need. So if you want to call us on any of these connections to serve, we are reachable at 209-544-9571 uh, for any of these items that you care to donate. Again, that's 209-544-9571. And we'll be happy to connect you uh, with these items. Also want to mention we had a, a lady call in today, and she's a single mom. You know, right now times are tough, and for single parents they're really, really tough right now. But this lady had uh, need of a stovetop burner, just one burner is all she's asking for so she can cook for her little boy. Her stove went out. She rents a place. And until her stove can get repaired or replaced, she's just asking for a little burner. I encouraged her not to barbecue inside the home, but she just no. needs a little mm. burner so that she can cook a meal for her uh, her son. By so. the way, friends, remember, though, Elaine updates the Daily Update page on our website a couple of times a day. Daily. And these, these and other opportunities are up there for you. It's www.vibrantcommunities.org, vibrantcommunities.org. Click on the little red 
flashy gizmo. thing. Gizmo. It's just a gizmo. Icon, I think, is, yeah. Anyway, click on the red flashy thing. It'll take you right to the Daily Update page. You know, we are in good hands tonight. And uh, we're not talking all state. <laughs> we, we have the honor uh, of spending the next hour here with Modesto's Finest. And we, uh, we want to welcome and appreciate uh, and thank you for taking the time, uh, again, to share with us some really important stuff. Lieutenant Ron Cloward of Modesto Police Department and Officer Robert Gum. And we just want to thank you guys because I know that you're very busy. You both have other many things that, that you could be doing. But thank you for joining us here tonight on, on Lighthouse Live. Uh, Lieutenant Cloward, I, I want to thank you for taking the time to speak with me the other day by phone as you were in uh, Louisville. Kentucky, yeah, and yeah. Uh, making arrangements to be she here today. She tracked you down in Louisville. I tracked him down. Good he was, uh, night. on his way to Churchill Downs. As a matter of fact, how was that? Lieutenant? That was quite an experience. That was, was really was an experience. Not a beautiful place. <laughs> Took us on a backstage walk yeah. of the entire place, and it's amazing. And to go down on the track and actually walk on the track where those horses run, it was Isn't that amazing. Yeah. yeah. Quite an experience. And the people in that part of the country are just, just wonderful. Yeah, they're pretty uh, pretty warm and just friendly, and people Welcome. wave at you, and they don't even know who you are. It's just <laughs> great. Just, yeah. You come here, and you're afraid to wave at anybody. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about we, that. We had that conversation <laughs> we while we did. were back there, actually. So, yeah. Well, thank you for uh, coming home safely to us and, and uh, for being here tonight. And, and uh, Officer Robert Gum. Um, we had the honor of seeing you uh, live in action at the mayor's uh, task force on, on gangs. And, uh, wow, that was powerful. And go ahead, Robert, if you would, just tell us, uh, tell our listeners why it's important that you're joining us tonight. Well, you guys asked me to come down and talk about the uh – street gangs that are in our community and really affecting us right now here in Modesto and all through the state of California and really across the nation. Let's go back, if you can, and, and can you give us kind of a historical perspective? I know the the roots of our, our gangs, especially in this area, a lot of that came from DBI, I believe, back in the 1950s with uh, the Mexican Mafia and La M.A. and, and uh, La Nuestra Familia and such. they there's kind of a history here of, of the Hispanic gangs, anyway, in California, and kind of kind of bring us up to date on on the roots of the gangs that that we're looking at here in our area. Well, what what affects us predominantly are about 95 percent of our gangs are Hispanic gangs, uh, not just Hispanic youth, but when I say Hispanic gangs, it includes all races. Mm. Um, we have white kids that are involved in. Hispanic gangs, we have African-American kids that are involved in Hispanic gangs. So when we talk about Hispanic gangs, people think we're just talking about just Latino youth, but we're not. Um, it did start probably back in the 50s and 60s, um, California prison system. We had two groups that formed. One was the Mexican Mafia. The second one that broke off from them is uh, the Western Familia, and they pretty much have been at war since. And that comes down and affects the things that are happening on our street. The Nuestra Familia controls all the Norteños, and the Mexican Mafia, or La M.A., controls all the Serenos. And so when we see the uh, the 13s up on the walls, that's uh, the Serenos? Yes. Thir- 13th letter of the alphabet, right? Yes. M. Yes. And the 14th being N for uh, the Norteños, or yes. the La Nuestra Familia. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, also the influence uh, from areas like San Jose. I mean, it sounds like... 
we, we've had some um, in, incursion into our areas from uh, uh, folks in L.A. and, and, and uh, in the Bay Area and such. Tell us a little bit about that influence as well. Well, we've heard, started seeing a huge influx of outside gang members coming from the Bay Area, San Jose area, the and the L.A. basin. Um, probably about five, six years ago when the home prices were really up there, uh, families were selling their homes for outrageous prices over in the Bay Area, moving into this community, and that's what you know. People think that it's just our 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 older side of town that's having problems. Our you know the side of town that has a lot of economic challenges, but it affects us as a community everywhere because these people are selling their homes for outrageous prices in the Bay Area, moving into the the nicer areas here in Modesto, and they don't change their lifestyle. They're still bringing that gangster mm. mentality here, and that's why it's it's spreading real real, real quickly. Lieutenant uh, Cloward, you've uh, been here in the Modesto area a long time and uh, been on the force uh, almost 25 years now, uh, nearly. Talk about some of the changes that you've seen in, in terms of the gang influence over, over the years that you've been involved with law enforcement. Well, you know, I watched it grow. I was just kind of reflecting on what um, Robert was talking about with the uh, the influx of over the last five, six years when, like he was talking about, the uh, home values and, and the ability to move in here. And uh, I really saw that as a real big changing point. I mean, we always had gangs and we had a gang unit. You know, I can remember when I first got in the police department, there were two guys that worked the gang unit. Mm. And it was amazing to me, those two guys focused mostly at the time on motorcycle gangs, outlaw motorcycle oh, gangs. Yeah. Um, but then as time started to develop a little bit, you started to see the growth and the influx of the uh, um, the Nortenos in this area. And uh, they had to ch- quickly change their focus from the outlaw motorcycle gangs a little bit more to uh, uh, the Hispanic gangs. Um, and it's grown from there, and to watch it grow over the years. And, and like you know, like uh, Robert was saying, it's uh, to watch it change from not just a Hispanic culture where it's generational. Yeah. I mean, t- I can I can tell you that I've talked to kids today where I dealt with their parents. Mm. Exactly. So, I mean, you see it generation from generation to generation, um, and it's continued to grow and become a little more predominant, a little bit stronger, a little more sophisticated. Um, and you see that sophistication you know, in, in the way that they do their business. So. As we look at statistics today, and, I, and we were kind of alarmed at, at, at what we heard, Robert, as we sat at the, uh, the mayor's uh, task force that day. We have how many thousands of known gang members <laughs> and just within our county? And keep in mind, we're, we're talking on a, a, a global audience here today because, I mean, this is, this is very widespread. Gangs don't aren't just you know, confined to our area, but certainly we're talking about our area as well as other areas uh, tonight. But in our area alone, we have how many? Uh, we have five thousand, a little over 5,000 documented gang members. And what I mean by that is these are ones that have been stopped or contacted by law enforcement. They meet the criteria to be validated as a gang member. Uh, realistically, we estimate at more about ten to 12,000 gang members in this community. My goodness. And let's talk a little bit about what uh, what keeps them in business. Seems like is not just painting graffiti, but you know, drugs and and control and and violence. Talk about what motivates these folks to uh, to be there, and and uh, you know where where the money comes from. I would say probably the drugs are probably the biggest thing for the gangs to survive. 
Um, majority of our drug trafficking on the streets of Modesto are done by gang members, controlled by gang members. Um, gang members that are a little more advanced and maybe have been to prison and involved in gangs such as Western Familia, uh, Northern Structure, which is another prison gang, they will go out on the street, sell drugs, and they have to pay taxes back to the prison gangs. So, um, you know, so the ones that are more sophisticated, they're in the higher levels of drug trafficking. And then the, the younger ones are, they're going to be used to, to run the drugs on the street, sell them on the street. And then predominantly our property crimes are real, real tied into our, our criminal street gangs too. They're the ones out there burglarizing the cars and the houses and stuff like that. So there's lots of drugs, lots of money, lots of power. Yes. And uh, a lot of the uh, a lot of the calls on on decision making and such made from prison. Yes, people people don't really buy into that. They don't they don't believe that because they see a 15 year old gang member walking down the street and they they have they find it hard to believe that he is getting told what to do from state prison. Mm -hmm. But what they have to understand is state prison is sending down messages to our county jails, telling the people inside our county jails what to do. The county jail is then sending it out to the street. And the older guys on the street are then having the younger guys do their bidding. So uh, we have a very strong influence of Nuesta Familia here in Stanislaus County. And so, yeah, the, the things that are going on on the street is a direct influence of California prison system. Uh, Lieutenant Cloward, is, uh, as you look back, tell us a little bit about uh, how the – you mentioned the, the early uh, uh, genesis of the gang unit. Talk about what we have now and, the, and, and especially – and I think this is one of the neat things about being in – Stanislaus County, the cooperation between the county and and the city right now—that's you don't see that everywhere. No, you and, don't. And we haven't always seen it here, but we're in a day I think where we're blessed by some wonderful cooperation between the county and and the city. Let's talk a little bit about that and and uh, how the how the gang units are are structured. Well, you know what you have here is you've got strong leadership in your sheriff's department and in your police department, and by having that leadership, what it does is it it um, brings both agencies together with that common goal to uh, try to go out and, and do everything we can to deal with with the crime and like you know like Robert was talking about um, your property crimes um, we recognize that property crimes the vast majority of them are actually done by you know known gang members and um, so when you know these things you understand that everybody's got to work together which is why your burglary investigators will talk um, your homicide investigators will talk to one another, and your gang units, such as the one that Robert belongs to, the uh, um, Gang Intelligence Task Force, is a combined unit of officers and deputies and and uh, people from different agencies. So when you and it's also you know a federal thing as well. So when you get mm. people coming in on the federal level working with local agencies as well, uh, you get a stronger backbone as far as um, the work that's getting done and how it's getting done and then that kind of translates down through each department to your street level units like our street crimes unit which currently I think has 18 uh, assigned now, that changes because of our current you know budget issues but um, when you've got those guys in the street crimes unit as well as then it starts to work its way down into the patrol ranks and and I can tell you that um, when things start happening out there and we have an, an influx of gang violence and a couple of, uh, of um, gang-related shootings or homicides, what that usually does is it, it doesn't just affect those 
individual little units, but normally patrol kicks in as well, and we'll double up units and officers and just really hit an area real hard as well as, you know, the gang intelligence task force is and the street crimes unit is. Um, compared to what it was years ago, you've got a lot of mutual support agencies coming together and really going out and trying to, uh, you know, attack the problem and deal with it. So it's uh, it's a really a neat thing to watch happen when, you know, they're all working together. Yeah, let's talk about that for a minute, Robert. Yes. Uh, what agencies are involved? Well, what, real fast, let me add is he talked, Lieutenant Clower talked about our street crimes unit. Right. And that was started in 2004, I believe. And it's been so successful that other agencies within the county have seen that and are putting personnel into their own street crimes unit. Mm. Putting So all these agencies that didn't have gang units are now starting gang units uh, because it's been so successful. Turlock Police Department just started a street crimes unit. Uh, Sirius Police Department has a street crimes unit. They go by a different name. And same thing with Sheriff's Department. They have what they call a sting unit. uh, But they're... They're basically doing the same thing. They're out there every day contacting gang members and and fighting the gang crimes. Uh, my unit that I belong to is called the Central Valley Gang Impact Task Force. Uh, we are an FBI safe streets, and we talked about um, local and county or city and county agencies working together. This has been it's a, a step above that. We have state agencies, as state parole is involved with us, and then of course we have federal agencies such as the FBI. We currently have three FBI agents signed to our task force. Wow! wow. Um, and yeah. everybody in the county has somebody assigned to that uh, task force. Um, the Sheriff's Department has personnel. Modesto Police Department has personnel. Series Turlock, um, and then of course you know we have probation officers, uh, a classification officer from the jail who is contacting his gang members in jail all the time. So it's it's been very effective. That unit was also started in two thousand four. Tell us a little bit about uh, what what the Intelligence Task Force does on a daily basis. Well, we disseminate all the gang intelligence that's coming in from different areas of the county and putting it out where it needs to go. What we saw in 2004 was Turlock gang members would come to Modesto and commit a gang crime here in Turlock, or Modesto, and then leave back to Turlock. Well, the Modesto officers wouldn't have the information on those gang members. Mm. In the same, same way, we'd have Modesto gang members going out and doing a homicide or a major gang crime out in Newman or Patterson and then coming back to Modesto. So we needed a unit that would get together and would be able to disseminate all that information. So that's what we do. We're involved in all major gang crimes uh, here in the county. If there's a, um, let's say, a homicide, which is the worst gang crime you can think of, but if there's a homicide in Turlock, um, I am a Modesto police officer, but I will go down there and assist them. And just in the same case, if it's a Modesto one, that Turlock officer who's assigned to us will come down and assist us. Robert and Ron, how does all of this affect our military when these guys and gals go into one of the branches of our military, how what happens then? Where, where, what happens to their gang life then? I mean, some of them have been affiliated with gangs, have they not? They've grown up this generational thing. What 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 happens then? Well, you know, the unfortunate thing is we found out in the Howie Stevenson case was the fact that um, that young man actually with gang ties and gang relations, goes off, uh, basically gets trained by the U.S. government, um, all the things that you need to learn about tactics and uh, uh, in the Marine Corps, especially how they um, go on the attack, you know, and that's the Marine Corps way. Um, he, uh, you know, he brought that back even to the street level. So 
what we're seeing is is that we are seeing kids going into the military. Um, in some cases, I'm sure some have been pulled away from the gangs. I mean, when you're halfway around the world in Afghanistan or Iraq and it removes you from the connection of the gangs, then it could have a positive impact. Mm-hmm. But it depends on what yes, they come back yes. to and how they how they actually interject themselves back into the culture and the community. Do they roll right back into it? And I don't know that we've actually gathered any statistics on that. I mean, maybe Robert's got some, but... Uh, to see some sort of change take place. Well, what we've seen, and it's kind of the military is great in one way because we have seen gang members who have changed their life, escaped you know, from their neighborhoods, got into the military, and come back and be productive. But we also have gang members who we've talked to who have used the military as a training ground. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, our gangs know this, and they'll send the their their gang members to military training uh, to get that urban combat training most of most of what our military trains is is urban warfare and it's the same thing these gang members are now using on the streets it's very disheartening when we get pictures back from Iraq and Afghanistan and seeing the gang graffiti that is put on our our US military tanks oh, and on the walls in the in the military i mean in the in Iraq and this is what our military is over there representing and it's it's sad I was a member of the military, and so it's very disheartening to see that. Um, we saw that, you know, Howie Stevenson's case in point, the yes. military tactics used in that it was amazing. And that's what these these kids are really learning out there. And if they bring it back with their, you know, with evil intentions, they're going to use it for that. Absolutely. And there's no way of knowing, I guess. Uh, no, I, I, I will have to tell you, though, I have to give a shout-out to the Marine Corps. They're very aggressive about their recruiting um, as far as not bringing in gang members, I get contacted by the local Marine Corps recruiting office all the time. Their policy is if a recruit comes in there with more than two tattoos, they send me photos of the tattoos, and I do a, a records check of our gang system and see if they've been contacting gang members. And they actually have to have a, a letter by me to enlist in the military. Wow. I have so, to ask, what branch of the military were you in? I was in the Marine Corps. Uh-huh. <laughs> there you go. You can brag on it. You betcha. Well, you know, a changed life is what Toby Mack sings about in his song on Lighthouse Live, and we'll be back with more. I'm a brand new man. I'm a conscious man. I'm a man who's born for you. The mistakes I made have been chased away to the bottom of the ocean blue. I'm a brand new man in a foreign land.
and burn for you on Lighthouse Live along with Pastor Mike Elaine and Officer Robert Gum and Lieutenant Ron Cloward. And we are talking about gang activity tonight, uh, and we are in the Stanislaus County, Modesto area in California, and we want to thank you for listening in wherever you may happen to be listening and in the world. And as we said earlier, some places that we can't even pronounce or spell, and that's okay. We're just Probably glad, have gangs too. glad yeah. that you're listening in. And, you know, when I was in Israel a couple of years ago, there was graffiti there. And, uh, well, you graffiti. shouldn't have done that. I did. <laughs> We've been meaning to talk to you about that. <laughs> well, uh, no. that's, that's uh, a whole other story. But, you know, uh, talking about changed lives, and I know that uh, you, Robert, and, and uh, Lieutenant Ron have seen some changed lives. But, uh, you know, getting to that point sometimes is a, a slow process. And uh, maybe if we could uh, address the issue of uh, some families and uh, because I know the day that we were talking about this very thing, uh, Robert, a lot of the, the conversation centered around families and the children and the generational thing that we saw um, came from uh, the family thing. And let's talk a little bit about uh, what the kids uh, are saying as we listen to them because it's important that we hear from them. Uh, they have a lot of peer pressure in the schools, and uh, maybe address that if you guys would, and let's uh, let's see what comes of that. One thing I always try to tell parents, and it's, you know, people when we do our presentations, we go out and talk to the community, even people who write into the chief and to the lieutenants, and they talk about what are you guys doing to combat gangs? These are the parents telling us this. What are you guys doing? My kids are getting involved in gangs. What are you doing? 
it's not just a police department issue. It's a community issue. But the most importantly, it's a parental, it's a parental issue. Um, the parents, I try to stress this to them, is, are the, the most important step to preventing their kids or even stopping their kids from being involved in gangs. And we try to stress as the parents about being good role models. I tell these parents, if you're gang members, your kids are going to be gang members. If you're a drug user, your kid's going to be a drug user. Mm-hmm. And we see, uh, in, especially in this area, we see a lot of generational gangs. Um, dad has been a former gang member. Maybe dad's still active. And our problem is if dad's active, of course, the kid's going to follow that same lifestyle. What we have a bigger problem with are maybe dad was a gang member back when he was that age, and he's no longer active, but when he gets around his friends or other siblings of his, maybe the uncles of this kid, um, they they kind of talk about the things they did when they were kids, and they glorify this. Mm -hmm. Same thing like on TV is the families are glorifying it too, and these kids hear about the good old days and things dad did, and they want to do the same thing. So maybe dad's not active in the gang, but he's still talking about it and still putting a positive light on it to these kids. Um, another issue, I think, is just denial with parents. They don't want to believe that their kids are involved. We do these gang presentations all the time. Um, you guys seen the gang presentation mm-hmm. I do. I give mm-hmm. you everything to look for, indicators of your child being involved in gangs, and we constantly have parents coming up afterwards and saying, Officer Gum, yeah, my son, yeah, he's he hangs out with a bunch of other guys. They all wear red. Uh, he's got, you know, Norte written in his book, but he's not a gang member. Mm-hmm. When you flat out want to overlook those signs, then there's, there's really no help for that child. He's going he's gonna to get involved in gangs. If their parents aren't going to stop him, now law enforcement gets involved in it, and it, I, I, I hate to use this term, but it's too late. But when we get involved in it, it's because that it's, you know, we're a suppression, we're enforcement. He's already broken a law, and now that's why law enforcement's involved with it. I think we need to tackle the problem before it gets to the point where law enforcement's involved. You know, we several times, and, and forgive me if I mispronounced his last name, is Sergeant Rick Armanderas? Yes. Correct? Uh, he has said many times, and, and we've heard it from the chief and the sheriff as well, you can put a bazillion cops out on the street, but if we don't address the family issue, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's, it's going to be hard to, to, to battle this. And would you agree with that? that you know, the, the home is where this thing the front really line. needs to happen, yeah, right? That is the front line. The front line is the home. And yeah. parents um, have to pay attention. They've got to be involved in kids' lives. And I think one of the biggest problems you see in the gang, kids getting into gangs, and, and Robert talked about it earlier, um, it's a Hispanic game, predomin- or gang predominantly, but you've got whites and blacks and Assyrians and um, basically a variety of cultures involved, and these kids have gotten into it not because they're, you know, third and fourth generation gang members, but because they've been allowed to slowly but surely associate with mm. these gang members, and the parents didn't pick up on all the warning signs. They're, nothing bothered the parents about going into the bedroom and seeing a red rag hanging, you know, with a push pin into the wall. I mean, it's that is the front line. And if parents are not, you know, vigilant about paying attention to what their kids are doing and the people they're associating with and controlling that, that's a part of being a parent. And we can only do so much, um, but we really have to count on the parents to do their part. And, and as Robert said, by the time we get called in, a lot of times, mm-hmm. unfortunately, it's too late. I mean... 
and I, I try to stress this to parents because Lieutenant Cloward brought up a good point, is we talked to a lot of parents, and a lot of them would say, oh, you know, maybe their kid's white. And they say, oh, he's just he, – well, he's a wannabe gang member. And I really hate that term because I don't believe there's a wannabe gang member. Mm. If if you're going out there and you're dressing like a gang member and you're, you're doing gang crimes, then you're a gang member. And these parents will say, well, he's just – you know, well, look at my kid. He's white. How can he be in a Hispanic gang? And they don't understand, and they keep allowing him to – to go on like this awfully hard to get out that's that's a tough one to say i mean it's it's hard to escape when you get when you've got so far into it and you're out there doing the big gang crimes um the days of you know they're going to jump in and jump out where you have to be assaulted to get out or you you know you're no good if you're younger and you want to walk out of it you can i've seen so seen many people escape the gangster lifestyle a lot of them you know there is a code of you can't walk out of a gang, and there's such as a code as no snitching too, mm. but everybody snitches and everybody drops out. Sure. This is um, our problem with our dropping out of a gang is maybe there's they have problems within that gang, let's say Nortenos. Maybe a Norteño gang member has problems with the other Nortenos. He will drop out of the gang. A lot of times, though, he doesn't change his gangster mentality, and we actually have dropout gangs that are made up of mm. groups of mm. dropouts, and what they've done is they form their own gang. So, you know, they they do drop out, but escaping the gang lifestyle is it's not impossible. Rewinding the tape just a little bit, Officer Gum, going back to dad, how hard is it for dad to back out of the gang once he's not active anymore? How hard is it for him to really? He's out? he's not even in the gang anymore. He's inactive. He doesn't associate with the gang anymore, if that's the case. Um but he still glorifies. He still talks about it, and that's the biggest problem. Mm. You know, we uh, we saw a video. Um, I think it was up in in uh, Riverbank uh, during one of the presentations, and I think someone from the Bay Area had had produced it. And, and one of the most striking images was uh, a, a guy that I don't know whether he was in the gang uh, at that point or not. But you know, he's he's there with his I think it was two year old or three year old. And, you know, he's showing him his, uh, you know, 45 or whatever it was. And, and uh, you know, that inculcation is starting really early. Right. What, what kind of chance does that two-year-old have to, to not get involved? As you say, the, you know, the pressure is there. What, what's good about that film, we'll talk about it real fast. Yeah. It's called Our Family. Our Family. Okay. Um, it was a documentary of the Nuestra Familia that was done, and it follows a kid whose father, and you've, you've seen the video, the father right. talks about how he – wanted his kid at the age of, you know, I think it was like five or six, he wanted his kid to strive to be a good gang member. And he would take his kid around, all the other gang members, he would show his kid guns. He said he wanted his kid to be a better gang member than he was. Mm. And, you know, his dad lived the, the, the gangster lifestyle too. His kid was, you know, grew up to about 17 or 18 and was involved in a homicide, a gang-related homicide, and is now serving the rest of his life in state prison. And now the dad is is he's doing what he thinks right he's he's going out there and speaking against gangs but he's the one that ultimately put his son in that position yeah. and he blames everybody else he blames law enforcement about not getting involved but he says it himself at age five he wanted his son to be a better better gang member than he was yeah yeah let's talk a little bit about uh, intimidation uh you know here at a- avc we've been involved for about six years and in, in graffiti removal and uh, <laughs> We like to say, you know, we'll we'll paint 
any wall any color as long as it's beige, you know. <laughs> kind of beige, sort of beige, you know, slightly Almost, beige, yeah. off beige. Uh, <laughs> but we we see a lot of uh, a lot of uh, monikers on there who are not necessarily gang members but taggers, and yet we see the uh, the 13 crossed out and the 14 and the and the 187 written over it, and a lot of intimidation. Uh, some are are using colored paint, some uh, black and white. Talk a little bit about uh, interpreting. Uh, what all of that that means, because I know a lot of our people are affected by that. Well, here's the most important thing that I have to tell people is that these gangs strive on fear and intimidation. They want everybody in the neighborhood to be scared of them, and they do a pretty good job of that. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to graffiti, they also know that it's a cost of doing business that people are going to clean up their property. Um, it's not disrespectful for graffiti to be covered up. That's like I said, it's a cost of doing business. What's disrespectful is when we see what they call the crossouts, where a rival gang will come out and cross over another mm-hmm. gang member's graffiti. That is disrespectful. That'll lead to gang violence. What our community is afraid though is they hear about these crossouts and you know gangs rival gangs coming and crossing out each other's graffiti. They're scared that if they go out there and paint over the graffiti, it's gonna come back on them. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna say that you're not gonna have gangsters driving by, maybe yelling something out. Um, but they they also know that it's the cost of doing business. It's going to get covered. They know businesses that have a business license here in Modesto have a requirement to remove that graffiti. Right. They know programs like yours that are going to go out there in full force in the community and cover it up. Um, same thing with graffiti abatement, things like that. Yeah. So um, I don't I don't think people that go out there and are involved in these graffiti removal or graffiti abatement programs are are you know have anything to worry about. Um, I would always say that if there's a gang member present and and yelling and stuff, it might be better just to go ahead and pack your stuff and move on yeah. and not get any kind of confrontation with them because that's what they that's what really they want. They want that confrontation, and then if you get in a confrontation with them and they feel disrespected, they may act. I, you know, I just going back, uh, and Al uh, was with us early on in this program for several years, and uh, in six years of doing it, we never had a problem. I think that the closest contact we had was a uh, kid rode by and, and made some remark that next time he'd use a different color, you know. But, uh, our, and we've had people drive by, you know, and once in a while, uh, I think a sheriff's unit ran off a, a small group. Never really had a problem, but it, I think one of the neat things for us is the interaction with the neighbors. Because as you say, uh, Officer Gum, they are they are intimidated. Yes. They don't want to go out there and wipe it out. But, man, they're blessed you know, when somebody else does. And we've had just... Great uh, public relations they and just talking with the people. appreciate the fact yeah. that someone will come and wipe that. Yeah, they off. they don't want that on their property they either. Don't. But they but they are they're fearful. You have to remember yeah. these people have to live in that community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yes. So if they they are fearful, and they if I live in that community, I would probably be fearful too. That if you that's go right. out there and spray it over, that there's something. Maybe it's going to come back. Maybe it's going to be twice as worse or twice as bad. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to come back, and now they're instead of spraying your fence, they're now going to spray your garage. Um, so when they do have a, a program like yours coming out and covering their graffiti for them, they're, they're going to be very grateful for it. Yeah, because they're not held responsible for it. Right. If you go out yeah. and do it, it's, yeah. you know, you did it. But if they do it, then they're the ones that are responsible. Well, There's and we're pretty careful. And, and a lot of, a lot of the uh, volunteers who do this are students. Right. And we're talking, uh, you know, ages seven on up. Um, and, and we, we try to make sure that no one from the neighborhood that we're in is part of that team. You right. know, they're, we're, we're coming from, from elsewhere. Any significance at all to, you know, the black paint versus the colored paint at all? No, it's just, it's, be honest, it's what they can get their hands on you. <laughs> it, it really is. You know, really? uh, the California tried, um, 
it was probably about five years ago, probably longer than that. They try to stop some of this graffiti by limiting, you know, you have to be 18 to buy spray paint and stuff like that. Uh, let's be honest, these kids are so, if they can get guns, they can definitely get spray paint. Yeah, I was going to say. say. Uh, yeah. but, but it's predominantly whatever color they can get it. If they're going to get if they can get it in red and they're Norteño, they're going to use that. If they can get it in blue and they're Serenios, they're going right. to get it and right. use that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really, it's going to be whatever they can get their hands on, too. Yeah. Can I just say, I've seen some beautiful artwork. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm serious. We've seen some, some ugly stuff, too, but if if a lot of these people who paint this stuff on would take that creativity and use it there's productively, some pretty, yeah, there's some pretty talented people. <laughs> some out there. some really wonderful is. stuff. You know? yeah, I can't. I, I couldn't spray a straight line myself. I, I, mean, I don't know. My, it's pretty amazing. Either, it's, uh, we, we do have what they call tagging crews mm-hmm. that are. There's going to be guys that are more artistic going out there. Um, they're really artistic. There's there's a style of their writing, and then you have your gang members who are going out there and just doing their gang graffiti, and you can tell that it's right. going to be no artistic value to it, and it's going to be you know XIV Norte X3 whatever things you know that the gang signs, but we do have tagging crews here in Modesto, and they're you know to be honest, as far as graffiti comes, the tagging crews are probably worse than the gang members because they cause more damage because yeah. they have mm-hmm. they'll go out there and have what they call tagging parties, and we'll go out there and try to do as much graffiti as they can in one night. Yeah. Um, you know, our, our gang members will go out there and spray XIV or whatever on the fence, and that's the extent of it. I mean, they do it all over, right. but our tagging crews will go out there and try to cause as much damage to the property as they can. Do you see any time of the year that's worse than the other? Summer is always worse because these kids aren't in school, and mm. they have nothing to do. And we're coming into that. Yes, we're coming we? into that. And summer, it's hot. Yeah, summer is our, predominantly our, our busier time of the year. And then also just before school starts, they'll really hit hard. Because they want to, they're trying to get the name out. They're trying to get their stuff out. You know, the more they can tag with their their moniker on it, it's kind of like they've got the greater fame. And so, um, before they hit school, they're trying to mm-hmm. do as much as they can. Now, I, I grew up in Pasadena, and you know, saw a lot of Crip stuff. And you know, it was about about the time that the gangs were really uh, surging uh, in in Southern California. Seen a, a little bit of, of Crips tagging up here. What's what's with that? Um, we do have some Crips, but the Crips tagging that we normally see is our Asian gangs are what they call Crip base. Oh, okay. They claim blue. They call themselves Crips. Um, so we do have a, a large Asian gang population here in Modesto, too, predominantly in a certain area of town, and that's where we see it at. Um, we do have, you know, for years we didn't have, as far as our African-American gangs, we didn't have Bloods and Crips in here. We are now seeing that now. Uh-huh. Uh, we're seeing a huge influx of Bloods from East Oakland coming here now. Okay. Any uh, – our, our county is, what, population somewhere around uh, 500,000 probably. Yeah. Uh, Modesto mm-hmm. is around, what, 210,000, somewhere in that right. uh, neighborhood, mm-hmm. just to give mm-hmm. those of you in Lower Slavovia an idea of uh, who we are. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I have no idea what the population of Lower Slavovia is. But maybe but, someone you know, will tell us Maybe someone now. will tell yes. Or what kind of games Please you do. have. But I'm sure we you care. Have some, of the, some of the same challenges. Um, Lieutenant Cloward, let's, uh, let's just talk a, a little bit about – the uh, the change that occurs in the county. I mean, uh, again, you've been here for for many many years. You've seen um, a lot of changes uh, happen during those years. Um, as as you look forward, what what do you see in in our area as we become more of a microcosm? We've got a we we're a melting pot here. You know, 
you know, it's got people coming in from Cambodia and Vietnam and, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of, a major Hispanic, uh, uh population. And, uh, we just got a lot of different cultures clashing. Well, what kind of, um, challenges has that presented to law enforcement and, and what do you see for the future? Uh, in terms of uh, help and, and maybe things that we need to be watching for? Well, we're going to continue to see um, things change. I can remember, like I said, when I first got into it, the boundary lines for, like, the, the north and the south, the Sereno and the Norteños, mm-hmm. was farther down south, more in the Bakersfield area. Uh, and, that, yeah. and you can see it slowly working its way up to where the battle lines start to be drawn, you know, a little bit, uh, farther north in California, and then uh, as Robert was talking about, with the influx of the uh, influence out of the Oakland area and San Jose area, mm-hmm. um, you know we see a lot of that. Uh, I, I run the downtown area with the entertainment district, and I can tell you the um, the presence of Oakland in the downtown area on a Thursday, Friday, yeah. or a Saturday night is um, is pretty high. So what we have to do um, to deal with that is we've got to continue to um, move with it and to maintain, like with programs like what Robert's involved in and having all those joint task force that work together, we've got to maintain a good intelligence-based system monitoring the growth and what's going on. Knowledge is power on both sides of the fence, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So we're going to have to continue to do that to grow with the future as things uh, continue to grow in this area. We're bumping the clock a little bit. I uh, have, uh, have three or four minutes left. Um, Officer Gunn, let's talk a little bit about what the average person in, in the neighborhood can do to, uh, to help out and, uh, and, and, and help revitalize their neighborhoods. I think one of the most important things I really believe in the program is neighborhood watch programs. Yeah. Um, neighborhood watch programs are great. It allows people to call us and get involved. What, what we see, though, is people, you know, all the all the state agencies and local agencies were in budget crisis. Yeah. So um, those are backing down just a little bit. Yeah. So think? numbers are down a little bit for number of officers on the street. Response times are a little slower than what people want, and they get they get frustrated with the police department and then stop calling. Mm. And what happens is if you stop calling, there's our those are our eyes and ears out there. If you stop calling, we don't know what's happening. So I try to stress to people to keep calling us. Okay, if you call and you have kid gang members loitering on a corner, you're not going to see an officer in a few minutes. Okay, but it, but you may not see that officer come by and check that neighborhood, you know, a half hour later, and maybe the gang members have already moved on. Okay, that's great. We don't contact them, but at least it's documented that we're having a problem on that area, right. and that's things for officers in my unit. We know that okay, we need to start looking at that area. Mm. Our street crimes unit, we need to start looking at that. So the basic thing, the most important thing for the community is to get involved with law enforcement, is to to work hand in hand and be a partnership with law enforcement. Can we balance back to the family for just a moment and address the, the communication with within the family unit and talking with the children once again and how important that is hearing what they have to say and and the parents and communicating with with uh, the kids. And I think you just said a keyword, um, and it's not so much the talking, but it's the hearing. Okay, mm-hmm. address that. If, Ron, if parents would. would listen to their kids and the things they're talking about, listen to what their interests are, listen to mm-hmm. um, the names of the people they're spending time with, um, listen to their activities. Uh, if they would listen more. Pay attention more to what they're seeing. Uh, I think that's probably key. Um, 
you know, kids get tired of having their parents preach to them all the time. Sometimes the constant talking is not the way to deal with it as much as paying attention to listen mm-hmm. and to use your eyes and, mm-hmm. and observe. And then seek the help. Call the police department and ask for help. Get guys like Robert Gum involved and uh, other guys that are willing to, to help out and, and guide parents on what they can do to, you know, eliminate the problem. So I, I think that's really important. Well, let's, uh, again, our, our guest tonight, Lieutenant Ron Cloward, Officer Robert Gum. Uh, Officer Gum, let's talk a little bit about how people can get a hold of you yes. or, or whomever you would like them uh, to call if, if they see some activity or if, even if they see in their kids some stuff that they're starting to worry about. Well, if you just have a general question that can wait and doesn't need an immediate police response, right. then you can always call the police department at 209-572-9500. They will give you my voicemail box. I do check that. And uh, I will call you back and answer any questions you have, especially if you're having problems with a child involved in gangs. Say that number again, would you? Five seven. I'm sorry, two zero nine five seven two nine five zero zero. I will tell you if you do need a police response, don't call that number yeah. and <laughs> ask for me. You won't. You won't get a police response. If you need a police officer, go ahead and call our non-emergency number, or, or of course, if it's an emergency, call nine one one. Okay. Great. Uh, Lieutenant Ron Cloward, got a couple seconds left. Any, uh, any last words for me? And, but we have to have you back. So I want to talk yes. about canines and, you know, your tremendous history in there. But anyway, any, uh, last thoughts before we leave? Today? Any prayer requests that we can pray for you, Ron? Um, well, you know, I mean, the community in itself always needs prayer. But I can tell you that the police department does too. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we're down like 35 officers right now and it's really has impacted everybody. Um, you know, the common theme, doing more with less. Yes. Um, that's really what's happening. So, you know, lift up these guys that are out there. They're working hard, and, and each night it brings another challenge. So. God bless both of you for being with us and, and continue on in your work, and we will lift you up in prayer. And thank you, dear friends, wherever you're listening, and God bless you as you can reach out and love your neighbor as you love yourselves. 